Hello and welcome back to the Future World Life podcast. My name's Ollie Henderson and community is the theme of this series and we continue today with another great guest who combines not just expertise about community but also incredible experience as an entrepreneur business leader. My guest is Gina Bianchini. She's the CEO and founder of Mighty Networks, the cultural software platform for creators, entrepreneurs and brands to build communities. Gina's had a fascinating career before she founded Mighty Networks. She was also the co-founder of Ning, the social network with Mark Andreessen. Now she spends her time channeling her purpose into building a product that can help connect people and coaching hosts on how to grow those communities. Not only is she a brilliant entrepreneur, category designer and leader, she's also written her first book, Purpose, Design a Community and Change Your Life. And we discuss many of the themes of that book in today's show, including why leaders thrive when asking generative future-oriented questions, how establishing a clear purpose helps you attract similarly-minded people, how powerful questions lead to transformative change and how to ask them, why, whether in a community or organization, engagement is fueled by a shared sense of mission, and how to turn your interest, however niche, into a community that you can monetize. So if you want to find out more about Gina, I've put links in the show notes and do check out my Future Work Life newsletter in which this week I'll be following up with some thoughts about the ideas we discuss. Right, that's enough for me for now. Let's jump into my conversation with Gina. Well, Gina, so nice to have you on the show. Tell us, what's one thing you wish more people knew about you? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Second of all, I don't know that I have ever been asked that question as the cold open. And I sort of love it. I sort of love it. That I truly believe in what I am doing. I think it's, I you know, and I, I think to be fair, it's probably pretty obvious. But it's always kind of interesting that you know, there, there is this sort of sense or is, you know, none of us are perfect, mm. but I, I sort of think in the, in the grand scheme of things, I check myself almost every day on like, am I doing the right thing? Am I working on something that matters? And yeah. I, I continually come back to fuck. Yes. I don't know if this is family <laughs> program probably is. You can bleep that out. No, but, we encourage, we encourage, we encourage swearing. But, it's fine. But fundamentally, that I truly care about what I am doing. Yeah. And when, and how long did it take you to realize that that had to be an important part of what you do? I, you know, I think I always knew it on on some level. I, I felt like early in my career, there were things I wanted to learn. And, and look, there are still things I want to learn. Like the, the way that I have managed my career has been around what do I want to learn next? What's that next challenge that I, that I want to tackle? Um, and because I am willing to take on big meaty challenges, one of my friends calls it slaying dragons. And because I am, I am relatively fearless in terms of taking on incredibly big meaty challenges. And I have a, a, a reserve of resilience that, um, I've always believed in and and know that I can, you know, that I can tap, um, that I am willing and able to take on challenges that I haven't done before that haven't, like, if I see that somebody has been able to do it, I want to do it if yeah. I care about the thing. And, and that's always driven me. 
Yeah, and of course, it is really obvious, by the way, particularly, I mean, if you listen to you talk, but it, clearly your book's all about purpose and how you followed that. And actually, just related to the lifelong learning thing, Dory Clark wrote a really good book last year called The Long Game, yeah. which, and actually referenced it in my book because she did this great thing, which was basically, look, people overthink the purpose thing in some cases, whether it's an organization or an individual, you can get so hooked up on oh, what is it? You know, I need to analyze it and overanalyze it. And actually, very often, if you follow your curiosity, what's the thing in your free time, you've got 10 minutes spare and had nothing else to do. What would you find yourself thinking about? Thinking about just following your curiosity. And actually, that points you in that direction. Yeah, well, and it's, it's, it's interesting, like, as I was writing my book, I was doing, you know, looking at all the research and just this idea that the way that you find purpose is by going out to the mountaintop and, you know, the, the sun shines down on you and you have this moment of epiphany. I just don't believe in a moment of epiphany. I've had them, but they've come from that sort of back, you know, that back of your mind processing, that subconscious processing over years and years and years. And so I think it's, it's more a function of, do you make the time for, all of the things that happen and all of the things you're processing and the things that that you're recognizing in terms of patterns, do you make the time in your life to be able to connect those dots? And, and that to me is the really important piece, which is how do you organize your day, your time to both be able to reflect as well as learn new things or imagine a different kind of future. And how's that practically changed for you over time? I mean, are you a nine to five type person? Are you somebody who <laughs> takes flexibility to the max and breaks their day into different chunks? How do you approach so it? So I, I optimize my life for focus, flexibility, and flow. Mm. And when, so when I, when I am involved in something and I am in flow, I will stay in flow. And I've organized my life where, you know, my, my home life is very simple. So I have a lot of flexibility. I have a lot of ability. Like I'm, I'm not overscheduled. That's something that I think, especially as I've gotten older, I, and, and, this is actually true of a lot of the very successful people that I've been fortunate to, to know and call friends, you know, the more creative you can be in your schedule because you're not, you know, chain smoking Zooms. Um, one of our engineers at, at Mighty coined that <laughs> phrase and I always love to use it because it is really, it's true. Yeah, uh, right. And, but the more that I can stay in flow, again, coming back to that ability to take on bigger and bigger challenges, that's how that's how I learn, but that's also how I get energy and I'm invigorated and I am creative and I have a million miles, you know, a million, uh, not a million miles, but like a million interests and a million ideas a minute. Yeah. And then I crash. So it is very, you know, it is very much about flow and focus and, and finishing something big and then I have learned, especially as I've gotten older, if I do not take a step back and 
whether it's lose myself in a book or go on a hike or watch a tremendous amount of television, see friends, if I don't if I don't get enough of that sort of refresh, I'm not very nice. I'm kind of miserable and I feel like a zombie. Yeah, I've actually, I, I wrote a newsletter just the last couple of days um, about, because I, I'm sure you're hearing this as well, being in the Valley, but there's a lot of conversations right now about the shift back towards performance cultures, which, you know, I think it's a correction that was required. There are certain organizations just trying to poach people, essentially, and providing this sort of social club environment and not necessarily putting an emphasis on results but and i I'm, I'm wholeheartedly behind a performance culture i think it's actually better for every worker to understand what their responsibility is and align around a goal but i was just warning that what people think of a performance culture sometimes is the hustle and grind thing just squeezing every bit of juice out of you actually doesn't really characterize high performance so i use the analogy of the marathon runner Elliot Kipchoge yeah. who uh, broke the two-hour marathon record because I spoke to the guy who wrote a book about that process if you look at life of a professional athlete it's about rest and recovery it's about performance peaking at the right times pushing yourself to the max and then rest and recovery and it's what you just described there and that is how you replenish and get those That's give exactly yourself right. the space and having discipline around Hey, I I can't do all of the things. Like mm. I have to choose what it is I'm going. <clears throat> I have to choose what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to yeah. choose what I have flow around. And you know, do I always make the right decisions on the right projects? Probably not, um, or definitely not. But I think that I I I, I see where. Without rest and recovery, I do worse and worse work. And also I'm more and more miserable to myself mm. and those around me. And especially as a leader, that's not a great idea. Like, it's just not great. <laughs> like, you know, if somebody is, it shows up and has an interaction with me that's like less than optimal because I'm in a bad mood or because I haven't taken care of myself, that has re repercussions well beyond that individual interaction because of, you know, wh where I sit and what I do. And yeah. And what I care about and what's important to me. Now, that being said, I think the other thing about a performance culture, though, is number one, it is about results. So if somebody mm. can get results in two hours, or if somebody has to work 12 to get the same results, the thing that matters is the results. Yeah. And so I think yeah. that, that it's really important that especially as if, if one chooses to be a professional, I think things like, but I worked so hard is it, it really is not about working hard. I think you have to work hard in many, in many cases, but it's also about working smart and it's about focusing on your results and the contribution that you are making, not how hard you worked, how hard it took yeah. or how much effort it took because effort and results may match up. They may not. And the thing yeah. that if, if the two things are being evaluated against each other, the thing that matters is results. Yeah, it also makes me think about if you look at many of the most successful entrepreneurs or even investors like Buffett and Munger, you know, they typically what they say is they achieved mastery of their subject partly because of natural innate ability, but very often through time spent on it. And it's far easier coming back to the point about purpose and actually being engaged and enjoying what you do 
it's far easier to do more of that stuff, which also is why I, I am a believer that, you know, I don't think everybody should go out there and just do the things that they love when they're, you know, 15 years old. That's not realistic. But I do think there's a correlation between loving what you do and achieving mastery and being in it right. for the long term and ultimately then, you know, succeeding, achieving, fulfilling your potential. So, so I, I sort of threw that question in at the very beginning, partly because I stole it from your book, because I must say, just a little comment on your book. It has got some of the best questions, like framing questions that I've come across in a book. I mean, I've got, I was talking, we were talking just before we started recording that I use my Kindle now for notes and I looked right through my notes and half my notes were just the questions. I thought, oh, that's a actually a really useful question. I'm going to use that. Um, so I've just yeah. got a bunch of that stuff. So, I mean, what makes a good question? What makes a great question? Because I feel like that is directly connected with how you start connecting with yes community and so i'm yeah. just interested so, well, how do you think about that so I'll, I'll share a little bit of background on this as well so as part of creating communities which is which is my passion which is my which is my day and night job um we saw in the data that great questions drive engagement drum, like that's that's the engine of engagement now live streaming chat messaging, all that comes after that. But if you want to bring a, a set of people together, especially people who don't know each other, the single best thing you can do is create questions that people want to answer. They want to answer them quickly. They're like, by the way, the worst question that you can possibly ask, hey guys, what do you think? Like sharing a link or a video and then being like, hey guys, what do you think? That's the single worst thing that you can do. So don't it like don't do that if what you really want to do is feel great about engaging people, because what will happen is everybody's like, oh, then I gotta read that thing. And then I gotta like have an opinion, but should I have an opinion that's short or long or in you know, and there it's just mm -hmm. too much work. So what my team and I did <laughs> is we're like, okay, we need to come up with some great questions. And more importantly, we need to come up with a thousand of them because I don't want anybody on, like anybody who's starting a community, who's a part of a community, I don't want anybody to have a single excuse for the fact that they couldn't find a great question that day to ask their community. So yeah. it came from a place of like, not on my watch, we are going we are going to shock and awe people with the communities that they can uh that they can create that they can engage and and ultimately just create something really really special so what we what we did is we looked at our data here at mighty networks and we started to analyze all of the questions that were getting the most engagement. Now, again, these are across a wide range of topics. And we sort of synthesized it down into any great question has an unlocking phrase that's very specific and then a topic. So unlocking phrase, a topic. Now, what's great about the question that you asked me, it was so personal. It was not... Hey guys, what do you think? Well, that's the power of a, a, a unlocking expression. So let me give you a couple of examples because I actually was working on on this here. So examples of unlocking phrases. What's one? 
What's one? If you could, what's your favorite? Would you rather? What's an unusual, like for example, what's an unusual thing to know about you? What's the first? What's the first app you open in the morning? That's a good example of that. Mm. What's your number one? What's the most? What do you value most in A? Do you prefer? I got, I got 50 of these. I'm not going to read all 50. Let me give you a couple more though. Name one thing. How do you know when? Have you ever? If you had to, what kind of? Where were you when? What are three things that? So those are examples of unlocking phrases. And then you can just, what's the topic? What's the topic of your community? What's the topic of that workshop? What's the topic of that icebreaker question or that that mastermind group that you're doing? Whatever it is, those unlocking phrases plus the topic will get you engagement every time. Yeah. Every time. Now compare that to, hey guys, what do you think? You can yeah. see the difference. It can be answered quickly. It's it 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 creates sharing as opposed to advice. Sharing stories, experiences, and ideas opens conversations. Advice shuts it down. Mm. All right, let's test this out. So name one reason community should sit at the heart of any entrepreneur's new startup launch. It is the single best way to attract your most relevant and most motivated people, who people who could become your customers, who can become your super customers that like want to buy everything from you. And it triggers word of mouth. So as you bring people in and they they're captured by the idea that they would be there for they're like we call it your big purpose. So what's in it for them? Uh, then they're able to start to see the results and transformation that they can get from that community. Guess what they do? They go talk about it. They go talk about it to anybody who will listen. When you are able to offer somebody a magical experience, and the easiest way to offer somebody a magical experience is not through content. It is through community. It is through mm. not just bringing people together, but then bringing people together to be able to build relationships where you are learning from each other. You are sharing stories. You are sharing ideas. You are sharing experiences, not advice. Mm. That is powerful, but it creates and speeds up the word of mouth that then ultimately unlocks your business. The other thing that is so powerful about community, so I'm not giving you one, I'm giving you like four. Um, <laughs> I did say at the beginning though, I really do care about this stuff. Um, so the, the other thing is that, especially for entrepreneurs, it helps you build the right product. Mm. Helps you build the right product. So we didn't know at Mighty, for example, you know, we started as a community platform just with community. We're like, oh, community, like all the things we want to build. And we have a, a, a very unique vision for where we think the world is going to go and, and the power and potential of community software. We put it out and almost immediately our most motivated or our, our like, like most excited hosts, as we call our customers, they were like, Gina, 
dudes, why don't you guys build online courses directly into Mighty? It, it, it just makes so much sense to us. So we're like, oh, that's interesting. We hadn't thought about that. So we go and we integrate other course platforms and we're like, hey, here you go. Like they come back and they're like, yeah, um, no, we don't want that. We want you to actually build online courses into Mighty. Today, five years later, six years later, it is our most popular use case. Right. Our most popular use case. Um, I I didn't see it. I didn't, that was not something that was like, again, I didn't go to some mountaintop and, and like have the light shine down on me and a voice in my head say, the answer is building online, online courses. It was, we, we built, we co-created, we built, we co-created, we built, we co-created. If we did not have a community where we could have these conversations, I mean, we have our own 83,000 person mighty community. If, if we didn't have that and we didn't have the interactions both live and in comments and in conversations and tech, like if we didn't have that, we would, we would be struggling with, are we building the right thing? Yeah. And we know we are, and we know what we're building next because of that co-creation that comes from community. And I think mm -hmm. that's true for any entrepreneur. So yeah. tell me another way of both driving word of mouth marketing and doing R&D that is going to help you be as efficient as humanly possible. Oh, and by the way, you get all the data so that you mm -hmm. also know not just what people are saying, but what people are doing. And so 83,000, that's a big number, right? And I'd imagine that as that number grows, the problem shifts from being that you don't have enough insights from your community to how do you filter through everything and decide which of those that you need to action, right? But let's just rewind. Because I, I think one of the challenges people think, you know, when you think about community, like, okay, how big does that community initially need to be so it's like the conversation that you have about a niche it's like sometimes about oh that's too small a niche and of course this you know you gradually discover there's many cases where actually they probably did start as a relatively small niche but quickly you realize that the world's a very big place but i suppose what's the critical mass required to give you the kind of insight which can help you make better decisions about your business whether you know it's only an early stage it, yeah it's a great it's it's a great question so so number one niche does not mean small it just means specific mm. it doesn't mean small it just means specific so i think that that's just sort of an important thing to kind of keep in mind the the other thing is that social media has has really um created bad, bad insights and sort of bad motivations, meaning that if you live in a world where, where a social media audience is equal to a community, you think that you have to have massive numbers because in social media, you have to have massive numbers. Community is a fundamentally different thing. Why? Because the value that your members are getting is from as much from each other as it is from you, which means that when you have that kind of network, the source you have, you have much greater density of value than if you're, you know, you're watching my videos and I have to like produce videos all the time. And like, mm. you know, I'm on this content hamster wheel, which is not fun. It's just, it's relative to community, which is 
energy producing, it is, it is just magical. Now we have the data that says, okay, what's the smallest number of members to create an ongoing sustainable community? That number is 25. <laughs> 20. And even more surprising, a mighty network um, that charges, like has, you know, has a paywall. The average price for a 25 person or or smaller network, let's just keep it simple at 25 people, they are paying $48 a month. $48 a month on average. Now compare that to, you know, the 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 newsletter business where it's like, oh, well, I can charge $5 and then I have to go get, you know, hundreds of people to have the same revenue that you would have from 25 people paying $48 a month. So mm. you can make more money with a community. And that sounds so crass, but, but he, let me reframe that. First and foremost, people pay attention to what they pay for. So paid communities on Mighty have 10x the engagement that free communities on Mighty have. 10x. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't valuable free communities on Mighty, but just if, if you are, especially if you're just starting off and you're thinking, oh, I have to have a freemium model, I have to like make something free before it's valuable enough that I can charge for it. None of those things are true. Oh, you know what else isn't true? Um, oh my gosh, people are too busy to join something new. The only time people are too busy to join something new is if the value proposition of your community isn't clear enough. We call it your big purpose. If your big purpose is not clear enough, it's not clear who your community is for, what they're going to do together, and, and most importantly, what value are they going to get from it? What are they going to be able to do in their lives a year from now that they're not able to do today as a result of being yeah. a part of that $48 a month community? If Once you answer those three questions and it's clear, people are hungry to join new communities. They are hungry yeah. for new communities that are learning and growing together. They are hungry for it. So what's so fascinating to me is just the fact that that the data that we are seeing and the dynamics and interactions on Mighty that we're seeing are just different than the myths of people being too busy. You can't charge until you have lots and lots of people. And even when you do, you should have a freemium model so that you know, you're giving more value than you are, than you are charging for. Well, I would reframe that and say, well, the data doesn't support that. And if anything, mm -hmm. if you create a paywall, you bring people into a paid community, you can provide significantly more valuable dynamics and experiences and content and connection because everybody who's there is super motivated to be there. I've got a feeling there's going to be some people listening who don't realize that there's a an idea for a community in their heads for whatever reason. Yeah, Maybe they don't think it's significant enough an experience that they're having. Or actually, here's something that I definitely read in your book because it relates to my book, which is the, a transition that they're going through, perhaps, which is probably in all likelihood a transition someone else is going through because... Yeah, let's face it, we go through many transitions in many forms throughout our work and, and our lives. Yeah. So what would be really, I think, quite cool to do is could you maybe illustrate 
how people can go from I'm experiencing something and this would be something that would be useful to share with others into here's the potential to actually create something which I could you know, potentially monetize and actually make money from that idea, you know, to turn it into a community. Well, and, and I would even say, yes, you could make money from it, but you are also by charging for it, you are ensuring that that person that is joining and going through yeah. that transition is going to have a wildly better experience because exactly. they're more invested. And so is everybody else are about to be. Exactly. Well, it's funny that you say this because, um, I don't know, I, I don't know if you, you've seen this, but if you go to mightynetworks.com and you create a network. The first question that we ask you is who do you want to bring together? And what we've done with sort of the latest and greatest with GPT-4 and our own sort of community design framework is we will give back to you that big purpose sentence. So we'll give you three example mm. big purpose sentences. You can create your own or, and it's the, the formula is very simple. It's who are you bringing together? what are you going to do together? And then what are the results? So it goes, I or we bring together creators, entrepreneurs, brands to learn how to create a community so valuable you can charge for it. So well-designed, it essentially runs itself so that we can. So the trigger, the, the trigger in people's minds is that so that we can, they're listening for yeah. what's in it for me. So it's a very quick modern way of basically saying to somebody, this is what you're going to get from it. And yeah. so that we can find people who want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves to be able to navigate and, and define a new path forward for this transition, for example. Yeah. So yeah. then we'll give you community names that you can choose from. And then this was kind of the magical moment. And, and I'll share some of the, the data back from, from this little flow that we created. Um, we'll produce all of your marketing materials. So anything you need from a landing page and copy on your landing page to brand imagery, to, uh, to your invite text, to your social media posts, to your first welcome article and your space and your first community questions. We'll, we produce all of that in less than a minute. Less than a minute. Now, again, you can edit all of it, but it. But the point is, you're not staring at a blank screen, wondering, yeah. you know, how would you do this? What would this be? It's oh my gosh, I'm in a transition. I'm, you know, I I, I, I want to travel the world for a year. I, I wonder if I could find 25 other people who would mm. want to think about that, you know. And so you put that in we produce all the things you would need to create that community and charge for it in under a minute. And again, you can edit, you can do whatever. And, and so it's kind of funny because, you know, with that automation, a couple of really interesting things have happened. Number one, um, I just, uh, I just taught our community, my community design masterclass, our, our community design masterclass. And I realized a lot of the things we had been teaching were like, yeah, just just go use just go use the software. Like it's so much easier now to to use. Hmm. The second thing that's been really interesting in the data is that we are seeing a two hundred and fifty three percent increase in people successfully launching Mighty Networks. Wow! So by having all of this, you know, tailored to that idea, we are seeing more hmm. people launch. We're also seeing something really interesting, which which is before we, we call it Mighty Co-host because everybody needs a co-host. 
Uh, and if software can be your co-host, you get to do more of the fun, creative stuff. And some of those yeah. mundane tasks are, are taken care of. So it's actually really fun. So an, a first session people will spend on average, on average, 28 minutes. Our prior, you know, first session was seven. So wow. is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. Can mm. we continue to make things better? Absolutely. But for anybody, we built this for anybody who's sitting there saying, could I actually do this? Would anybody join? Yeah. Um, and, and and probably more importantly, we built it for people that think that they've got something and it's just not clear enough. And so they they do all this work and they, they're like, oh, like I put my community out and nobody wanted to join me. And, and, and within three or four questions, I can, I can kind of bring it back to your purpose is too big. You know, it's too big. It's too generic. And if you're for everyone, you're for no one. Hmm. And the beautiful thing about starting with a narrow, you know, a, a transition in somebody's life, first of all, again, niche does not mean small. It means narrow. Hmm. When people feel like you are talking to them directly, you can bring those first 25 members in. You bring those first 25 members in. First of all, you're also generating revenue that that is revenue that you can reinvest in bringing in the next 25 or the next 50. You also have 25 people who are getting amazing results and transformation that are also recruiting for you in a way that just does not happen when you are on social media and you are you know praying to the algorithmic gods. So yeah. it's just a very different dynamic. Um, and... It is the kind that is a renewable source of energy, again, of, of resources in terms of revenue, and you can create something that is truly magical. So a couple of follow-up questions. First of all, this should be relatively straightforward. Is the audience for the, for the people you're speaking to the biggest reason people aren't able to successfully launch a community as in is it just that you are starting too broad is that the, the main reason that you come back to and you, you mentioned that the technology helps essentially drill down is, is that the common mistake i think the common mistake is yes it's it's i want to create a community for all humans on planet earth to learn share and grow together so we can become better yeah would you join that community probably not Hmm. Now, compare yeah. that to um, I'm bringing together a set of entrepreneurs in North London to be able to have a dinner series where we are breaking down each week a different area of what you need to launch successfully in 2023 and beyond so that we yeah. can build successful businesses do it in the in the in the support and encouragement and creativity of other people creativity new things innovation come out of scenes yeah. what we now have is the opportunity for digital communities to become those scenes just like you would have the scene in you know Seattle grunge music or you would have different uh, certainly early days of social media and, and social networking in, in Palo Alto or what is yeah. happening right now in San Francisco with AI. So this kind of density, you can hear the difference between those two things. The mm. single fastest way to success with a community 
is start specific. And you can always expand from there. You can always expand out. It's much harder to narrow, narrow in. Yeah, I'm just writing down what you said so that I can launch that community. It just sounded Please. so compelling. I think, I'm in. I'm in. Please. I'm in. That's fun. <laughs> so you, you said there when you realized there were parts of the course that actually were better served through the software, yeah. which begs the question, which parts can't currently be addressed through the software? You know, within, within that course, what remains something that is better taught? And I guess it's a cohort-based approach to it. Again, it must be because that's that would just fit with the vibe and everything else. So what can the software not do? What are you imparting upon people who set up the communities, yeah. the hosts, that remains just a, something that needs to be done within a group? So I love this question because I think about it pretty much every day. So here's the thing. Software will never replace human connection. There is something fundamentally human about the conversation that we're having right now that no AI assistant, no no computer can replace. And when you are in in real life together, nothing can replace the connection, the physical touch, the energy of people coming together. So mm. the role of community software that is profound in this moment is to make more of those connections and those relationships and those moments happen faster with more density and with more humanity. So think about, you know, and, and the examples are endless of where what, what creates the challenge to that is organizing it, finding the right people. You know, for all of the you know promise of the early days of social networking, when you really think about what what morphed and evolved, it was into massive audiences. We mm. have an opportunity right now in the power, starting with the power of community and that community flywheel, is to say actually our job in community software is to help people find the most relevant members of a community that's already built around this big purpose. This We all know why we're here. And to do the things that make it easier for people to meet and build those relationships, see value in those connections. It, it's the role of host. You know, when you think about the best dinner parties that you've been to or the best conferences or the best workshops, Typically, it's because there is a host that not only was extremely thoughtful about who was on that guest list, but then is playing that role of saying, Ollie, you need to meet Chris. The reason mm. I wanted you both to be here is because you are both starting really interesting businesses or you both write related newsletters. And, and today, that's not happening. Yeah. If it is, it's happening very piecemeal. It's happening in very bespoke ways. But instead, you would have to go find those other newsletter writers, reach out to them over DM, um, hope that they respond to you. Probably they won't respond to you because they're too fancy and too big because we're all about building gigantic audiences. And 
And your like ability then to know what are the social norms for how we evolve into something is very low. Now, yeah. compare that to a community where it can play that role of co-host. So now all of a sudden, the software is actually looking across the data to say, hey, wait a second, Chris and Ollie, they have a lot in common and they're doing a lot of really interesting things. Maybe I could help nudge them, I the software can actually help nudge them into a relationship where neither one of them has to take that social risk of one reaching out to the other, but rather there's a third party, which would be what I would want to do as a human being and as a host yeah. to say, hey, Chris, you and Ollie, you guys need to meet. And that's what I would do at a party. And I would yeah. probably, you know, my friends make fun of me because I love doing this, but it's like, I can I can highlight the things I know about both of you guys in ways that will make it really fun for you to talk to each other. Mm. How are we living in 2023 and 2024 where software's not playing that role? This is so yeah. obvious that yeah. this is where things are going and 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 you know with with our mission at Mighty Networks like this is what we will pioneer. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean because of course technology in many ways has fractured society and fractured connection and actually what we're talking about here literally is the you know technology or you know we talk about an ai co-host as connector it's the connector it's it's replicating but in, it does feel like augmentation rather than replacing like you say you know it's nothing's not going to replace, replace yeah. the connection yeah i think this whole set of of folks that are like I want to live in a world where, you know, the the near science fiction movie Her with Scarlett Johansson and Joaquin Phoenix, mm. Phoenix from like 2013, where it's like, that's the world they want to live in. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I don't want to live in that world. I want to live in a world where software is making my life richer and more vibrant, more connected and and increasing the quality of relationships, my sense of belonging, my sense of self, my sense of possibility and abundance. How does mm. that happen? It happens because there's a bunch of really fucking cool people to go meet in the world. Yeah. Again, I hope you bleep that out. But um, <laughs> there are. There are so many wonderful, amazing people. And we're just at this – I, I believe we're at this sort of awkward moment where – where attention is being drawn to people's differences. It's being drawn to what, you know, are, what, what is the other tribe doing wrong or, or bad or, you know, is evil. Whereas the more that we can utilize community software, and, and again, this level of what we call at Mighty People Magic, um, this level of people magic, I think we slowly but surely shift culture into one of amazing people doing amazing things with abundance and that we don't all, you know, we don't all have to be great at socializing. We can, we can lean on software to help, you know, help be that friend <laughs> that mm. like organizes stuff <laughs> that like, yeah. you can kind of like, we all have this friend who like is the constant organizer who also like you can draft behind them, especially if you're like tired or a little shy and you're just like, Oh, Sarah's organizing like <laughs> dinner in San Francisco. I'm going to show up. I'm going to meet some cool people. She's going to make sure it's fun. I trust her. Software can actually play that role 
in ways that we're just at the cusp of of exploring. So Gina, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I have other questions for you, but I think we're just going to have to save those for another time. However, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to add, either related to something that we've talked about or something that I've not yet asked? Well, here's what I would say. So, so first of all, this has been super fun. So we will continue this conversation. Um, here's the question that I would leave us with. And it's, it's, it's one that I think is the most generative question, the most interesting question. And it is very simple. It's what am I able to do a year from now that I cannot do today? Very simple. And you can, you can expand it. There's other ways to sort of start to define a future story around that. But that is one of the most generative questions. What can I do? What does my life look like a year from now? And how is it different than today? So again, a little mm-hmm. variation. What's powerful about that question is that as human beings, we love progress. We love challenges. Mm-hmm. We love to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that one small question, what's beautiful about a year is also it's enough time to do something relatively big, something relatively different than you know our, our day-to-day life, but not so big that it feels like, oh my gosh, where would I even start? And I just offer that as a question that has been really meaningful to me. Um, it, it has helped me get unstuck multiple times. And if anybody else can benefit from it, I just, I, I want to offer it. Love it. Thanks so much. Let's chat again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Ollie. And that was my conversation with Gina. I hope you enjoyed listening to the show. As I said at the top, if you want to find out more about Gina and Mighty Networks, you'll find links in the show notes. Also, make sure you're signed up to the Future Work Life newsletter for more in-depth thoughts about the themes we discussed in today's show. And make sure to tune in again next week when I've got another fantastic guest. I'll be speaking to New York Times bestselling author Bruce Feeler. Until then, have a great week.